Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All this focus, focus is supposed to be scientific. Hello, listener. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. And today is an exclusive premium episode. If you are tuning in from the public feed, that means you will get a little preview. But if you are a premium submarine, you are going to get the whole enchilada. This will be part three of our little book club time. And I recently purchased an out of print book from the 1970s called The Radical Therapist. And this is an alternative mental health journal, as I said, from the 70s. And it emerged from a critique of traditional psychiatry and a proponent of social change as the primary treatment for what we refer to as mental illness. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring an essay that talks all about the training of therapists. And just as a reminder, this was written in the 70s, so I'm going to be providing some more modern reflections and reactions based upon the research I have and my knowledge of the mental health space now, and I think you'll find it very interesting how little things have changed, and also interesting to know that therapists have been fighting against these fucked up systems for decades upon decades now. And it's so important that we continue talking about and raising these issues because we are living in a society that mental health is basically treated strictly through a biomedical model. But the cracks are beginning to show and more and more people are awakening to this. So without further ado, let's just get into it. If you're listening from the public feed, you are going to get a couple of dynamically inserted ads. But right after that, we're going to dive straight in to our exploration of The Radical Therapist. Let's go. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So this next essay that we are going to be diving into is called On Training Therapists, and it was written by Michael Glenn, who is a member or was a member in the 70s when this was written of the Radical Therapist Collective. And he starts by writing, the psychiatrist in training is embedded in a medically oriented matrix with a closed guild tradition whose model is master and apprentice. He's assumed to be very experienced and naive, a stumbling creature whose every step must be watched and checked. The model of supervision approximates that of therapist-patient, and the supervision constantly resorts to unbeatable ploys, like commenting on the trainee's psychological hang-ups. Mathematicians, businessmen, artists, actors, teachers, historians— all are acknowledged to have some sense of the world and of their place in it by the time they're 30. Yet the therapist in training is encouraged to see himself as grossly inadequate, ill-informed, and bumbling. So let's take a tiny break here just to explore what he's saying in this first paragraph. I have quite a few friends who are about to become qualifying therapists or who are in the midst of becoming qualifying therapists or psychotherapists. And part of what happens when you finish your education in terms of your collegiate education, you're not just ready to go become a therapist. What has to happen next is you have to enter some kind of clinical supervision. So essentially you can begin working with clients, but you are working with a supervisor who is a more experienced therapist than you, or in the case of psychiatry, a more experienced psychiatrist. And you speak to that person about the clients that you're working with. You get their opinion, their advice, etc. And depending upon the country that you live in, because all different countries have all sorts of different qualifying requirements for therapists, but essentially you have to have hundreds upon hundreds of hours of supervision before you can then go and become a practicing therapist on your own without supervision. So I hope that that's helpful. But essentially what he's saying here is that automatically there's this hierarchical way of structuring it. And now look, I don't necessarily think that's bad. We all need mentors. We all need people in our lives. And especially when we're working in a field, like for example, if you're going to go become an electrician, oftentimes you are an apprentice electrician before you can go out on your own, because you're going to run across some sticky situations that aren't just the very simple electrician things that you might come across that you learned in school. You might come across a really complicated thing and you want to learn from a master as how to kind of untangle these complicated situations. And obviously you'll put your own flair on it as well. But I do think it is important to really understand how the training of different therapists work. And if you have a great supervisor who is the kind of person who is not a punitive parent style, someone who 
is encouraging you to become your own style of therapist, but also providing a guidance, almost like training wheels for you. But then I can imagine there are supervisors who it's their way or the highway. They have no interest in learning new things or expanding their minds. And I've heard this from some of my friends who are in this field where they will experience a lot of headbutting with their supervisor because maybe their supervisor is operating strictly from this biomedical model perspective, very focused on disorder and dysfunction labels, and all around just hasn't focused very much on their continuing education. So you can have people that are essentially dinosaurs in their field. And this isn't always has to do with age, right? Sometimes people can be much older in their field, but they are so passionate about what they do that they are constantly going to conferences, getting additional certifications, reading the newest literature so that they can inform themselves about things that are changing. But unfortunately, as you well know, there are lots of people all over different types of professions who don't seem particularly passionate about what they do, nor do they seem very interested in continuing on expanding their minds and being open to having some of their older convictions or ways of doing things might just be the wrong way of going about it now. And a good example of this could be even a hairstylist. I also have quite a few friends who are hairstylists and work in that industry and things are constantly changing. There are amazing new techniques on how to color hair and protect it, new products that are constantly coming out, and people that are really passionate in this field are constantly going and getting education credits from different stylists going to kind of roadshow exhibitions where they learn all of these new techniques. But then you could have a hairstylist who's been doing the same thing and using cap highlights, you know, the thing where you put the plastic bag thing over your head and pull out little strips of hair to do highlights. You could have a hairstylist who's somewhere out in the middle of God knows nowhere in Western United States, for example, just doing hair as if it were still the 1980s without knowing that there are way easier ways to do things, better ways to do things. And that's just an example, but that goes across all industries. You can see teachers like this, doctors like this, God forbid, right? There are people who are at the cutting edge of their field, and then there are people who are dinosaurs who refuse to move forward with the times or want to become curious and learn new things. And I think that's really mindful when we are out there in the world trying to find a therapist or some kind of mental health or spiritual health practitioner to work with, really be looking out. Is this someone who's constantly informing themselves? Are they truly passionate about what they're doing and wanting to learn more? Are they curious or are they dead set that their way is the highway and they don't want to have any kind of conversation about anything else? That would be a red flag. And that would be someone who I personally wouldn't want to work with. And so us talking about these things, not only does it give you some information on how this works, but also just zooming out and seeing the lay of the land and knowing how to better advocate for yourself if you're seeking therapy. So let's continue. The professionalism of the medical model with its aura and mystique permeates psychiatric training. One is constantly mystified and perplexed. The completion of training allows the now professional psychiatrist to begin mystifying others, even though he usually has no idea how he does it. He seems to become mature, capable, and a member of the guild in good standing the moment the diploma enters his hand. Its model makes psychiatry invincible. 
attempts to change are readily discredited as psychopathology, delayed adolescence, and acting out. The trainer rarely encounters the trainee as another person, a brother or sister. Training is marked by psychological put-down, intimidation, and guilt-invoking techniques. Its graduates then repeat their experience with their clients. Such a dehumanizing, destructive system must be changed. So this is also another thing to talk about. Knowing that therapists and psychiatrists are put into this almost like oppressive system of trainee and supervisor, which I reiterate is not always oppressive, but say for instance, they have one of those punitive, immovable type supervisors who say for instance, if I were a trainee psychiatrist, God help my supervisor, if that were the case, and I came and I'm challenging the biomedical model of mental health, I'm challenging the notion of personality disorder labels, I'm bringing them research by Dr. Joanna Moncrief and saying, what do you think about this? We're seeing that the chemical imbalance theory is a myth. I don't think we should be diagnosing anyone with personality disorders. If I had that kind of supervisor, it would immediately go straight to me being a problem. I'm, and it's almost like a dysfunctional family system at that point. You're getting scapegoated. You're being called a problem. Just get in line with the status quo, right? And so what this does is it hampers innovation and it completely silences and psychologically beats down a new generation of mental health professionals. And I think this continues to go on to this day. And it's part of the reason why I dropped out of my master's program when I was pursuing potentially becoming a therapist, because I could sense that my tendency towards challenging these ideas was going to lead me into a career of being incredibly frustrated and unhappy. And I sensed this without even really knowing much about it. And another interesting point that he makes here is that it's graduates, like for example, the trainee psychiatrists who are being supervised in this way, maybe by a more punitive supervisor, they then, as the trainee psychiatrist, then also will create this same punitive environment for their clients. So if a client is challenging and asking questions and saying, I don't want this medication, or I, I, don't, I don't relate to the borderline personality disorder label, I don't want this. I don't believe a personality can be disordered. Then you're labeled treatment resistant or that you're acting out or you're not accepting reality, right? And this is what they're talking about when it comes to the mystification of psychiatry. They know better than you. They know your feelings better than you. Even though half the time you go into a psychiatrist's office and this happened to me and it's happened to hundreds of people who have emailed me echoing back the same experience that they went into a psychiatrist's office for help and they spent less than 15 minutes in that office. They were never asked about their childhood or what happened to them. They were just asked about their symptoms. And then they were given a diagnosis or medication or medications to eradicate those symptoms. And that's that. So this is a really, really important conversation to have. So let's continue. Saz and Lang, which Thomas Saz and R.D. Lang, these are both kind of more radical um, people in the mental health field that were very critical of the biomedical model of mental health. We'll be doing a deep dive exploration on R.D. Lang soon, so don't worry about that. So Saz and Lang and others have shown how psychotherapy dehumanizes both the patient and the therapist. 
Goffman has shown this in asylums. The same is true for therapist training, which affects the professional annihilation of trainees by incorporating them into a corrupting structure, which they must accept to succeed. They must play the game correctly, but learning to play the game correctly often ties them to its rules for life. It's a Median shirt which cannot easily be removed once it's put on. So here's the thing. It's like what Dr. Bruce Levine said in our interview in the episode called The Crisis of Contemporary Psychiatry. Dr. Levine is a decades-long advocate and is such a badass. And he not only is he a psychotherapist, but he is also someone who has been very critical, has written books. He is a regular contributor to Mad in America about all of this same stuff. And he talks about how People that are drawn to the mental health profession are typically very rule-following type individuals, and we need more radical people in these fields to shake it up and demand that the system changes, but the thing is is that the system is set up to reward people who won't challenge the rules, and so therefore we mostly have a majority group of therapists who are rule followers who have been shamed and scapegoated if they've ever stepped a toe out of line. Many of them have written books and papers following this biomedical model so it wouldn't really serve them if they evolved and challenged this model do you see this is how these systems stay in place for so long so he goes on to write there are several features to this which is like the game he's talking about first we'll discuss the professional mystification and the psychiatrist's role Psychiatrists, being physicians, have endured years of psychological brainwashing called education. They have learned that to be able to make an exorbitant income, they must assume a social mask of responsibility and omniscient doctor. They are our society's shamans, though lacking in the latter's sense of true drama. Medical training has certain values. One, it lets the young psychiatrist see the system as it really is. Two, it helps him learn to act decisively in emergencies. Three, it gives him experience with ultimate, profound situations. Four, it provides him with a range of human experience, albeit as observer, usually forbidding others not in the guild. And five, it gives him status in the system. In return, however, medical training tyrannizes the young psychiatrist in several ways. First, it foists an image of the physician on him. Two, it keeps him an observer, not a participant. Three, it makes him feel or seem infallible. And four, it inculcates him in values of sacrifice and responsibility while at the same time insisting that he owes himself all the luxury the latter obtain, thus encouraging him to accept materialistic values as the true measure of his worth. And five, it estranges him from others. A short reaction from me about this, especially on this point, how he's talking about how medical training tyrannizes the young psychiatrist. It says, first, it foists an image of the physician on him and that it keeps him as an observer, not a participant. The difference between, for example, a Jungian analyst, someone who's trained in the work of Carl Jung and who practices therapy through a depth psychological lens 
They are required to do in-depth analysis on their own. And also when you go into analysis with a Jungian psychotherapist, they are actively participating in the therapy with you. It's a more dynamic process. And a Jungian psychotherapist does not see themselves as a physician. They don't see themselves as a doctor. And one of the main critiques of psychiatry that I really resonate with is that we know very little about human consciousness, about the human personality, and all these things. But psychiatry is a field, in order to get taken seriously, psychiatrists go to medical school. And the problem is, is that the human mind, grief, emotions, personality do not fit neatly into the biomedical model. Cancer treatment and other types of a broken leg, trauma surgery after a car accident, reconstructive plastic surgery on a face who's maybe been attacked by a dog, these things fit perfectly within the biomedical model. However, I could talk about how important trauma-informed care is still to these medical fields, and this is slowly also making its way into medicine as well. But psychiatrists are not practicing medicine but the problem is, is that they're now playing with the big boys. They can prescribe medications and they're looking at people like, what's wrong with you? What's the disorder or dysfunction within you? And what medications can I use? How can we suppress these things? And it's like you're being observed under a microscope as to what's wrong with you. And yet again, I am not saying this is all psychiatrists by any stretch, but this is just the status quo. So let's continue. Medical training supports the conventional values in this society, the status quo, traditional sex roles, the search for profit. I mean, preach, because that's the values, right? These are the things that therapists and psychiatrists are incentivized. Maintain the status quo, maintain traditional roles, and search for profit, and I would say productivity. Get through as many clients as possible. A friend of mine that I've recently met through a course that I'm taking, she is a somatic therapist and she does telehealth and she was seeing up to 10 clients a day. All right, everyone, that's it for this week's free preview of our premium submarine exclusive episode. If you'd like to unlock the full version of this episode, you can go ahead and visit patreon.com slash back from the borderline, or you can just click the link that I've included in the episode description. Not only will you get the full version of this episode, you will receive all full-length Back from the Borderline episodes with zero ads. You'll also be able to access our private Discord community as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content exclusively available on Patreon. Also, every single Thursday for my higher paid tier members, I release private voice notes where I usually am on my walk and I'm just sharing about things I'm learning, reflections from my own recovery journey. They're a little bit more personal, short 15-20 minute episodes. So as a premium member, you're basically getting three episodes a week with no ads and access to the chat community where you can connect with and learn from other listeners. I know it can be really, really hard during a recovery journey connecting with people and sometimes friendships can fall away. So I created this community in hopes that you all can connect with one another. So if that sounds interesting to you, I'd love to welcome you into the premium submarines. But if not, that's okay too. Thanks for hanging out with me in this free preview and I will see you right back here next time. But remember, anyone 
even you can come back from the borderline. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.